Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, Melinda, and I having, Melinda and I are having a little chat today. Um, I'll get in my, my weekly update for the weather, if you like, really quick before I get into trouble. Um, I think summer's on its way. It's um, getting quite humid up here. Uh, in Brisbane, and we're, we're in the 30s already um, and we're only just at the back end of October. Yeah, air conditioning is on. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we've got a really good episode planned for you today and it's off the back of a question that we get asked a lot from people that inquire about using our services and that question is, is it actually too late to buy in Brisbane? Have we missed the boat? Um, you know, has the market now moved to a point where it's reached its peak? And so we really wanted to unpack that question in today's episode to help you understand what's actually going on and what the future might look like in the months and years ahead. So I think if we simplify it, like when people do talk to us about it, and there's a lot of people obviously with the market moving the way it is at the moment, um, prices have increased um, generally over the board. Um, I think in the last, the medium update last week in the market update, it was we'd gone over that 700 mark for Greater Brisbane. Um but people are sort of talking, you know, yes, prices have gone up. It has been a long time. Uh, I think Brisbane has been overdue for some sort of price increase. Um, we've been very quiet compared to the other big capitals. And um, I think it is overdue and we are changing up here in Brisbane and it's becoming the new norm and that, that is the prices that uh, property is actually worth. So is it too late is probably one of the big question. Um, and, and why is Brisbane so popular? I, I guess that's probably another thing is, driving that is, is that demand side of it. Um, so I guess, why is it so popular that um, so many people are wanting to buy in Brisbane? Look, I think that the change that's been brought about in a lot of people's way of life um, as a result of the pandemic, it's made people stop and think about, you know, what's important. And there's definitely been a, a, a change in the way people have worked um, or the way people are working. We've been very lucky in Brisbane and Southeast Queensland not to have um, many lockdowns like other locations. So, you know, that's also been um, to our benefit. Uh, but, you know, we we offer a lifestyle up here and, and certainly a lot of people that we're speaking to are relocating to Brisbane for the lifestyle that it provides. And, you know, with the ability to now work from home, people are able to make decisions that, you know, support a better lifestyle, uh, moving to an area where climate it, is, you know, more conducive to um, a better way of life. Now, that's not everybody. That's just one component um, and one part of the population that's contributing to this demand. But we're seeing that through the migration data in that southeast Queensland is the area that's receiving the greatest number of interstate migrants into a capital city. So the shift of population off the back of COVID has been significant. Um, there's definitely also... Um, that that trend towards some of the, the regions as well, Queensland region and the New South Wales region. But in terms of capital city movements, Brisbane has been the city that um, has benefited the most in terms of people relocating. Yeah, I think the um, the amount of, as you say, the amount of people that are relocating and the forecast for, you know, for the amount of people that are going to be here in the future. Um, and, and we know that we keep talking about it, and, and I think we will continue to talk about it. But you know, with twenty thirty two Olympics coming up, I think Brisbane will will grow again, and especially in that lead up, there's already um, a lot of sporting 
for example, I mean, obviously the Olympics being based around sport, there's a lot of sporting setups that are starting to relocate and they're starting to set up their home base in Brisbane. Um, I know we've got the, I think the diving's here. Um, there's there's talk of water polo. There's, you know, there's talks of all these sports that are starting to relocate here to set up so that the athletes can prepare in the conditions that we have and get used to, to Brisbane as well. So I think that'll actually change the population again going forward in the next 10 years. I know also just some of the venues, look, our boys are water polo players, so we're very heavily involved in swimming pools and um, water polo events throughout Brisbane. And, Scott, you've been speaking to, you know, one of the, the larger pools in Brisbane and they're planning for, you know, the 2032 Olympics already. So yeah. that sort of thing is already happening and venues are already planning for the future. Yeah, so I'm in University of Queensland um, where we... Um, where we're based out of, they, uh, they're planning on being the main training facility. They're trying to get uh, hockey because they've got the artificial turfs out there. Above the ground, above a car park, there's a car park underneath the fields there. They've just re-turfed them recently. So they're looking to try and get the, the main training facilities for hockey out there. Um, aquatics, so they're looking to build another 50-metre pool um, by 2025. And then um, other sports as well. So they're, everyone is planning around that, um, and it's that's obviously going to have an effect, obviously, on the population and the growth here. Yeah, and if we um, also understand why Brisbane and why people are looking to Brisbane and why we've had this huge spike in interest in buying in Brisbane, uh, of course, affordability has played a big part in, you know, what's happening. And I've broken down some of the affordability uh, data, and I've based this off the most recent median uh, dwelling values from CoreLogic that were issued at the end of September. And we've also looked at the median family incomes for each of the major capitals. So we've broken that down for Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. And if I just run through some of those numbers, just to provide some perspective on just how affordable Brisbane is, um, we look at incomes in Brisbane and the median value um, for household incomes is $1,562 per week. So annualised, that becomes $81,224 um, compared to Sydney. And these are Greater Brisbane, Greater Sydney and Greater Melbourne, just for clarity. Um, greater Sydney, $1,750 per week, median household income. And on an annual basis, that um, converts to $91,000 per annum. And then in Melbourne, $1,542 per week is the median family income and annualised that um, equates to $80,184. Now, of course, based off the median dwelling values um, that were recorded up to the end of September, uh, Brisbane is still sitting at a dwelling price to income ratio of 7.6 times the median incomes for Greater Brisbane. Sydney is sitting at 11.6 times incomes. And Melbourne is sitting at 9.6 times income. So that gives you an indication of affordability in terms of how much it costs to buy a dwelling in each of the locations um, compared to the median incomes that are generated in each of those locations. And of course, you know, that's dwelling information. We can further break that down into the housing data and the unit data. And I have done that, of course. <laughs> so in the housing sector um, for Brisbane houses, um, the affordability index or the price to income ratio is 8.7 times incomes for houses. In Sydney for houses, 14.4 times income just to buy a house in greater Sydney. And then Melbourne, 12 times income. So you can see when we're looking at a house on its own lot in Brisbane, 
it's a significantly lower value as a proportion of income um, compared to the other major cities of Sydney and Melbourne. And then, of course, we can look at units um, and units are less prevalent in Brisbane compared to Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, but we've certainly seen a, an influx in the number of new unit developments that have been constructed since 2016 when we hit the peak oversupply, especially in the inner city unit markets. So in Brisbane, in the unit market, we've got price to income ratios of 5.29 times incomes. Um, in Sydney, that equates to 9.06 times incomes. And in Melbourne, 7.73 times income. So interestingly, in Sydney, even units are less affordable than houses are here in Brisbane. So, you know, that's that's a really interesting um, statistic when you look at the value or what your money will buy in one city versus another. It's funny, I was talking to someone, I think it was just last week, and they, they were based in Sydney and they said, you know, down in Sydney, 1.5 to 2 mil, what you get for that compared to what you get in Brisbane, it's just chalk and cheese. So, you know, when you look at, as you mentioned about lifestyle and, and, and the weather and the affordability on that side of it, a lot of it, I mean, we are low density up here, so we're not as crammed in and we do have generally space around us and people can buy houses on a good, on a decent sized block of land with probably a pool um, close to public transport and, you know, and you've got that lifestyle from that as well. So big difference when you look at that affordability side, um, especially in that houses, you know, from 8.7 to 14.4. Um, Brisbane to Sydney, and then even Melbourne, as you said, 12, uh, 12 as well. So big change in, um, in that affordability side of it. Yeah, and I think when we talk about Brisbane being predominantly a lower density city, that is right now, that is definitely the case. But of course, we're always having to consider how a city is changing, growing, and therefore what it might look like in the future. Now, we're obviously studying this um, all the time to help us understand um, and advise our clients around the locations where we might see um, higher density coming through. Now, we know for a fact, uh, based on research that we've done and um, the research that is available, that certain local government areas are going to be more higher density areas than others based on the potential for what we call infill development. So that is redevelopment of existing land that is already on the urban footprint uh, versus areas where there's going to be a lot of um, greenfield development. And that is newly created, created urban footprint land. So, um, and we know for a fact that the Brisbane City Council region, for example, 94% of the future uh, supply of, of dwellings in that region has to come from infill development. So that is redevelopment of existing land. And it's important to understand, you know, where those pockets are. Um, Redlands, 73% will come from infill development. Then we look at Moreton Bay, 55% uh, will be infill development. Um, Ipswich, 75% infill development. And Logan, uh, I beg your pardon, Ipswich, 25% infill development. Um, and then you look at Logan, 22% infill development. So the balance um, will all come from green field development or new residential land being subdivided up. And that's important to understand in terms of what Brisbane might look like in the future as well and how much further we might spread, especially in some of those local government areas such as Ipswich and Logan, where we're going to see a large, uh, a much larger proportion of the new development coming through in new house and land estates. So I guess the land becomes more valuable if you can't, if you can't get it. 
Of course, it's about <laughs> scarcity and scarcity drives value. And obviously to see growth, we need um, to control the supply side of things. And so if you've got a house in an area where you can't create a lot more houses on their own blocks, um, providing you have strong demand of that in that location, then of course, it's likely that you will see price growth um, in an economy where you're seeing you know growth overall. But if you're in an area where there's a lot of potential for new supply and a lot of new land, house and land packages being created. Um, obviously, if supply is increasing, you need demand to be increasing a lot more to see price growth. So that's something to keep in mind if growth is something that you're, you're after. So another thing that will obviously have an impact on it, and we won't go into depth on this now, I think maybe in a future podcast, we might even have a look and give around a bit of an update on what's happening around the place. But Things like infrastructure and the planning, um, you know, we know that there's big major projects happening, as we've spoken about in the past, the, the, past, the airport runway is um, open, definitely not to capacity yet, <laughs> probably not too far away if we can open up. Um, Queen's Wharf, Howard Smith Wharf was done previously, we've got all the transport side of it with um, Cross, Cross River, River Rail, the Metro, um, all these types of things that are actually happening. I gave that little teaser out last week about that air taxis, which a few people were quite interested in. So there, there is still a lot happening. There's still a lot planned and a lot more planned. Um, again, leading up to that 2032 Olympics, there will be a lot of new things happening. So um, I think we'll give a bit of an update in a future episode where we can um, touch on that infrastructure side of it, transport and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, and I think that let's not forget um, some of those, you know, projects are going to be fast-tracked now because of the Olympics announcement um, and we also have in the planning a, a city plan or a city plan deal, a city deal, um, which involves all levels of government uh, putting in funding to fast-track other infrastructure as well. So that did get put on the back burner last year during the pandemic, uh, but talks are resuming now to continue those talks and better connect southeast Queensland from the Sunshine Coast to the Gold Coast and out to Toowoomba in the West. So, you know, that, again, could be game-changing and we're certainly, you know, watching with interest to see when any further announcements are made in relation to the city deal as well. So that's a little bit of a comparison. Um, obviously, why we why is Brisbane popular compared it to other cities? And, and we've talked about a lot of things like lifestyle and whatnot, but how long? I mean, how long will it last? Um, I guess that's another question for a lot of people looking to buy up here and invest or or relocate to, to Brisbane and southeast Queensland. But, you know, how long will it last and what's the forecast? Now that's a million-dollar question. No one knows how long it's going to last. No one can predict the future with certainty. But there's definitely a lot of doomsdayers out there that are saying that, you know, it's got to bust, it will bust, you know, at some stage the, the prices will crash. Look, we can't see any sign whatsoever that that's likely to happen at all. You know, to see that happen, we need a huge, huge spike in the number of properties that become available for sale and no buyers to buy those properties. That's when you see price reduction. Um, in fact, right now we're seeing the complete opposite. We're seeing really tight listings. In fact, listing volumes, according to CoreLogic now, are down more than 30% in Brisbane compared to this time last year. But we're also seeing really strong buyer demand still. And for every property, there's still a depth of buyers that is greater than it has been for many, many years throughout Southeast Queensland. So, you know, until we see some sort of levelling out of the number of sellers versus the number of buyers, we're going to continue to see upward pressure on prices. Maybe that'll be, in a way, that could be a good thing. The uh less amount of buyers that are out and about because we'll get away from that multi-offer situation, which we see a lot here in Brisbane at the moment. 
I think there was one this week that, you know, we looked at, it was 26 offers, I think, were, were on that property. So, you know, that's pretty crazy when there's that many buyers out there. So we're definitely not seeing that on the ground here. Um, there is still a lot of buyers out there and there's still that pressure on that side of it as well. And we can look at some of the forecasts. I mean, Westpac have put out their forecasts. Um, they predicted 22% price growth in 2021. Well, in fact, in the housing market already up to the end of September, we experienced 22.2% price growth. So um, it's likely that we'll smash uh, that prediction out of the water. And then they have predicted a further 10% price growth in 2022. Now, of course, predictions are just that. And it was the banks that were predicting some of the biggest price falls during the worst of COVID last year. And of course, that did not eventuate. So we need to treat some of these predictions with um, a degree of caution. But understanding what's happening on the ground is what helps us to understand what the direction of the market is. And at this stage, the only direction that we can see is up. So what about obviously the, the recent APRA um, changes? What sort of impact will that have? That's a really good question. And it's a question that a lot of uh, people have asked me in in the course of you know the work that we do um, obviously that may decrease the potential borrowing capacity for some buyers um, which may then um, decrease the amount that they can spend on a purchase now remember these uh, rules have been brought in Australia wide so I feel that they will impact the more expensive uh, markets being Sydney and Melbourne than then Brisbane alone but um, without even segregating by location, I think that it's going to have more of an impact on lower income households. You know, higher income households typically are less impacted by these types of changes because um, they've generally got lower debt to income ratios anyway. Um, a lot of higher income households have multiple income streams as well. So, you know, we definitely uh, don't see that having as much of an impact on people that are already uh, at you know, able to afford to, to purchase properties. And from what we're seeing on the ground, there's a lot of money coming into Brisbane that's not from Brisbane. So that is expats returning, interstate investors um, looking to, to get into the market and also interstate buyers looking to relocate. And of course, when you're from an area where incomes are typically a bit higher, it makes it even more affordable to be buying in Brisbane. So I don't see that having any impact at all in Brisbane, if anything, um, the very top end of the, the the market, people will just drop down a price bracket. And their predictions are that it's going to impact borrowing capacity by about 5%. But when your median value is already much lower than other capital cities, um, it's less likely to have much impact at all, in and, my opinion. And probably first home buyers. Yeah, first home buyers potentially could be impacted because obviously it reduces their borrowing capacity, um, and which is a bit you know, strange that the government's implementing, you know, something that could impact first home buyers when they're always, always encouraging first home buyers to get into the market. But look, at this stage, they're looking at any ways to take this, the heat out of the market. Um, and, you know, they'll do these sorts of things to, to try and slow the market. But ultimately, what happens in a market comes down to local drivers of supply and demand. And these types of um, things that APRA put in place or the likes of interest rate hikes, anything like that, that can have an impact on the demand side of the equation, but you always have to overlay that with supply um, and then weigh up, you know, how that impacts prices and the movement of prices. So so we've touched on is it too late to buy and, and why and why is it so popular and how long is it going to last, but where? Like, is it just anywhere in Brisbane? Do people just that don't know Brisbane can they just come up and go, well, I just want to buy anywhere in Brisbane and I'll be right? 
It's interesting because a lot of people talk about having to buy in a certain local government area versus another certain local government area. Um, they talk about having to buy a certain distance from the CBD. Uh, look, and our message has always been very consistent in this regard. Uh, Brisbane's not a radial city. Brisbane's a flood-impacted city. Um, measuring a distance from the CBD is not the way that you determine what makes an investment-grade location. Um, and we've looked at, we've tracked the 10-year growth performance uh, of the top three and the bottom three suburbs for 10-year growth in each of the local government areas around Greater Brisbane. And what those trends find, it's actually quite interesting because, you know, a few episodes ago, we talked about the top 10 growth suburbs in Brisbane based on 10-year growth. Um, and you, you would recall New Farm with 151.8%, Paddington with 130.2% and Milton with 128.7%. They were the top three suburbs um, in terms of 10-year growth. But in the Brisbane local government area, we also have some underperformers which have well and truly underperformed other locations in Greater Brisbane. So, you know, Belmont's 10-year growth, 20.5%, Rochdale, 24.7%, and Fitzgibbon, 38.4%, just to give you an example of some of those suburbs in the Brisbane local government area that have not performed as well. And there's potential reasons for that, um, especially Rochdale and Fitzgibbon being newer suburbs in the last 10 years, we still had some new developments being undertaken. And that obviously can impact on the, the growth when the land values grow at a slower rate than the building values depreciate. Um, that's that's another whole conversation. But, you know, then we look at Morton, for example, and we can look at the, the top three suburbs in Morton in the last 10 years, and that's included Scarborough, Arana Hills and Redcliffe with growth of 79.5%, 74.6% and 73.8% respectively. Um, and what's interesting is that the bottom three performing suburbs over a 10-year period in the Morton Bay region have actually outperformed the bottom three suburbs in the Brisbane local government area. So, it's just proof that distance from the CBD alone cannot actually determine the best location to invest. So the bottom three performers in Moreton Bay were Griffin with 27.9% growth, Dacobin with 32.5% growth and North Lakes with 39.2% growth. So they were the slowest growing um, suburbs in the Moreton Bay region over the last 10 years. And this is CoreLogic data up to the end of September. And then, of course, I've just combined Ipswich and Logan locations here. Um, the top three performing locations here, Underwood with 62.7% growth, Richlands with 54.8% growth and Forest Lake 51.9% growth. And the bottom three, 18.6% growth at Brassal, uh, Riverview with 19.3% growth and Waterford with 22.4% growth. So definitely the lowest performing regions uh, were in the Ipswich and Logan locations. Um, they definitely did underperform both Morton and Brisbane LGA. Um, and I do apologise for any listeners waiting to hear the Redlands data, but um, I don't have that to share with you today uh, because I, I just simply collated the most relevant information that um, that we have available at this time. And thanks, Pauline, once again. Uh, Pauline, who works with us over in the Philippines, has been uh, kind enough to collate all of this data for us to help us to report this to you. And it's interesting. You look at those, um, those stats there that you've got and I'm not, I must admit, and I'll say it straight away, I'm not as familiar with probably the Ipswich Logan area, but the, the other, the Morton and the Brisbane areas, the ones that are the um, underperformers, as you've mentioned, there is a lot of green space there. So a lot of new house and land um, development packages in those area areas. Um, so it does, they actually match up 
pretty close as well. It all comes down to the availability of supply and the competition for that supply. So demand has to outstrip supply. If you are in a location where there's a lot of new supply coming through, that will potentially suppress the growth. So that's definitely something to keep in mind for anyone that's looking for strong growth. It almost goes back to that one you showed earlier and you mentioned about the the future for the land of, I think Brisbane was 94%, wasn't it? Something like that. Of infill development. Yeah, yeah that's right. So it, it just, it matches up those that details as well. Um, and one thing that I will say is that, you know, the projections for what's happening here in uh, southeast Queensland, it, it, the, in terms of the populate, population growth projections, uh, we've got information from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, which indicates that the population of southeast Queensland is going to significantly increase over the next 40 years. So if we look between 2016 up to 2041, um, we've got an increase in the number of people relocating to southeast Queensland um, or the population growth as a whole, a further 1,886,600 people. So that's huge. And then when we break that down into the distribution between the regions, the Brisbane City Council region, a further 386,800 people, Ipswich, a further 319,900 people, Logan, a further 272,200 people. Moreton Bay, a further 217,700 people. And Redlands, a further 36,000 people. Now, there's obviously some distribution through the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, Toowoomba, the Scenic Rim, uh, Noosa and uh, the Lockyer Valley as well, but I won't report on all of those numbers. But it just helps people to understand how that population is likely to be distributed. And then, of course, it needs to be overlaid with the potential for future supply in each of these locations because population growth remember will contribute to the demand for property and in an area where there's no potential for future supply where you've got uh, more and more people relocating or moving into an area that can put upward pressure on prices because of that demand side pressure. Now when was that actually um, completed that that research side of things? So this is based on the most recent census data available, which was 2016, and then it's projected um, through to 2041. So it'll be interesting to see since then. We've obviously had a pandemic, mm. big changes, yep. Olympic Games. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see next time that comes out, what the comparison is and how it actually does change because I think there could be some massive changes in it as well. Believe me, when we've got an update, I'm going to know about it because this is the sort of stuff I research. I'm so sure you will. I can report in. <laughs> so... Is it the right time then? Uh, I guess that's probably the, the only other question we have. People have asked why and how and, and now where. And so I guess the next question for people looking to either invest in property up here or buy, relocate, buy a house, whatever it may be, is it the right time to buy? Look, I think that if people are not afraid of competition, of course, the right time to buy is when you can afford to do so. Um, we have a lot of people say, look, I think I'll wait until it's not going to be as competitive until some of the buyers are no longer in the market. And that's absolutely okay for people that don't mind either being priced out of the location where their money can afford to buy today or um, people that are prepared to pay a higher price to get into the same location. We cannot see property values um, or growth slowing down in Brisbane, especially in the housing sector in the foreseeable future. So, if you are wanting to 
get in now, I think in 12 months or 24 months time, you will look back and realize that it was actually a good buy when you got into the market, even though we've had this growth in the last 12 months. Um, we definitely feel that there's further growth to go. And, you know, we're not the only ones spruiking this information. When we look at the data, when we look at what we're seeing on the ground, when we look at projections by some of the um, the banks that are coming out, it's definitely all supported that, you know, Brisbane will continue to prosper into the future. Yeah, I think, um, as, as you said, if, if you wait, I think you hopefully you'll save some more money because I think the prices will go up and you'll need to actually pay more money. Um, when we talk about having so many people at multi multi offers and things like that and auctions, I look at it as a positive. Um, I think if I was, I would be probably more scared as a buyer if I went to a property and there's no one else there. Yes. And I didn't know what to pay for it, as opposed to going there and seeing so many other people wanting to buy that property. Um, I, I have more confidence when I see that because I know that it's desirable. People want to buy that property um, and there's competition in it. So competition's healthy. Um, I think it's a healthy thing. Um, if you have that mindset, you'll be fine. Um, if, if you're scared and you sit and wait, um, I think you better save some more dollars as well. And I think that's, you know, very true. If you are able to buy a property and there's no one else that's interested in putting forward an offer on that property and we're in the strongest seller's market that Brisbane has experienced for many, many years, my concern would be if you ever need to sell, especially if you were trying to sell in a buyer's market, um, who is going to be there to buy a property? If you're the only one in the market to buy in such a strong market as Brisbane is today, that would be a big red flag for me. So whereas if you're buying a property where there's multiple other buyers putting forward an offer or multiple other bidders competing against you at auction, you know, that gives me some more certainty that if I ever have to sell, and remember, you've always got to think of a um, de-risking uh, situation. So worst case scenario, in the event you do have to sell, you want to make sure you've got a buyer for that property. So I hope that's a helpful tip. Yeah. So I think we've answered some questions there. Um, lots of yeses, lots of noes, and I think it's a big yes in a way. But I'll let uh, look. I'll let Melinda wrap it up. It's been good talking again this week. Um, we look forward to chatting again next week. So um, I'll wrap it up there and um, take care and bye for now. I hope that's been useful for us to give some insights in terms of is it a good time to buy in Brisbane? Um, our answer is if you can afford to do so, it's definitely better to do it now rather than wait. So I hope that's been useful. If you do have any questions for us, we have got another Q&A session coming up. Please uh, send them through to us, info at streamlinedproperty.com.au. As always, if you are enjoying our episodes, we would love to, for you to leave us a review uh, on whatever platform you're listening or tuning into our podcast. We look forward to chatting again next week. Until then, bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.